1: Hi Sarah. Hi Sarah. G'day Sarah. I'm Peter from Bendigo. I have a question. What is so important about
0: this election? I'm Sarah Wilson and you're listening to This Wild Election, a mini series that will help everyone who gives a shit about the stuff that defines our nation to make their vote count. All right. In today's episode, I want to get to some of the stuff that I know disturbs a lot of you listening. The general dodginess and yes, corruption that we've been witnessing in politics over the last couple of years. A lot of young voters and I guess previously disengaged voters, and I suppose all of us are understandably baffled. It's gone beyond alarmed because over the past few years, there have been just so many moments where we've been left crying out. I can't believe that happened or that's outrageous. How can they get away with that? After so many of these, a human becomes, well, just baffled. How did it get to this? What has happened to our beautiful Australia? I'm talking about the current government's stacking of boards that are meant to oversee our sustainable future with fossil fuel executives, the lying to the President of France, defunding and tearing down bodies that are meant to hold governments in this country to account like just doing it and really not explaining how and why they think they can get away with it. And then, of course, there's the obfuscating of calls for and commitments to a federal corruption body, an ICAC, and doing scare campaigns around the idea of one that we almost believed and then blaming the opposition for it not happening. It's crazy. And I don't think many people know this. Politics is the only realm in our country where you don't get called to account if you do something dodgy. I mean, in Australia, you can run political ads that flagrantly tell lies, and you can totally get away with it. You might have seen some of these kinds of ads in your neighborhood. Plus, and this is really important, we are the only OECD country without a federal ICAC. Now, much of this dodginess revolves around climate issues, which the current government does not want to address, but also human rights and women's issues. And on all three, Australia has been singled out by international bodies and experts as cheats, as holding the world back, as having completely absent policies, and as, quote, ideologically opposed to human rights. And this has all happened in the past few years. So is it just politics as it's always been, or is it way more dodgy than any of us can remember? Well, that's certainly what some seasoned commentators are saying, such as the ABC's veteran political journalist, Jim Middleton, and some have even come out of retirement to speak out on this and to assist in running campaigns with independent candidates. So we're talking former liberal politicians, such as the former liberal leader, John Hewson and Julia Banks. To talk us through the minefield, I'm joined here today in the studio by Mike Seckham, a seasoned commentator himself and national correspondent for The Saturday Paper. Thanks for joining us, Mike. My pleasure. Mike, I feel that this government has been doing a bunch of touchy things while we've been distracted with floods and pandemics and fires and so on, but they're things that really go to the heart of what we care about, how we identify ourselves as Australians. I mean, we like to think ourselves as, well, not liars, (laughs) as decent people, fair, upfront, and definitely not sneaky. What we've been witnessing in the US with Trump and so on over the last couple of years, I don't think we ever expected that it could happen here in Australia, but I feel that most Australians are feeling like something has shifted in the past few years. Are we right to feel this way?
1: I think that the whole world actually has shifted for a variety of reasons. I mean, there's Trump is one. I think social media actually plays a big part in it because it's easier to get disinformation out there and believed by people. And I think that the sort of idea of a collective truth that everyone acknowledges and accepts has kind of been shattered. And in a situation like that, it's much easier for people, you know, liars and bullshitters, you know, there's Mm -hmm. a slight difference between the two, to gain traction. And I think that particularly in the case of our current prime minister, he is one of the falsest politicians I've ever met. You know, if we go back, for example, to, to John Howard, John Howard was quite adept at misleading people, but what he could do, he could mislead without actually lying by judicious selection of fact. I, I don't think Morrison has any such problem. I think if the moment suits, he will just bullshit. And I do think that that's a big retrograde step.
0: I feel the same way. I feel that it's really got bad over the last couple of years, the last two to three years, We're not quite at the level of, you know, having a a leader who encourages an insurrection, of course, but (laughs) we've seen things like the defunding, you know, it's really unsexy stuff really. It's the defunding of super important structures that keep the bastards honest, you know, they've been Mm. put in place for that reason, and bodies that will call out the government and these have been removed or defunded or there's been this stacking of boards and Mm. fudging (laughs) of figures. All of this stuff is going on. I would love to go through some examples that maybe listeners are not aware of because the government actually doesn't want us to know about this stuff, but that's what you specialise in. you know, In the Sunday paper, this is the stuff you write about. Mm-hmm. We might tick off a few, and I think the latest that you've covered is a plot to destroy the Human Rights Commission. I mean, it's a detailed story and it's so hard to cover everything off in a very short podcast, but could you just give us a rundown of what we should be aware of with this story?
1: The plot to destroy was the headline, actually. I I don't think the government wanted to destroy it so much as to make it tame. If you remember when Gillian Triggs was in charge, they did a number of reports that were quite controversial and were quite critical of the government and the government and its agents, particularly in the News Corp press, went after Triggs in a big way. Anyway, she hung on till the end. And then there was a new person appointed, Rosalind Croucher, who I'm not saying she's a bad person, but she's a conservative person and she's very low profile. So she came in and the government is happy that the Human Rights Commission is quieter than it was. The other thing they've done, of course, is, is stack it. And there are three appointments in particular, but the the one I would single out is Tim Wilson.
0: Who's now a member of the LNP party? He's, that's
1: right. He's mm-hmm. now, now a member of the LNP. He came out of a right-wing think tank called the Institute of Public Affairs, which actually thinks the Human Rights Commission should be abolished. So okay, he comes from he comes from this organisation wow. that says it should be abolished, and the government plonks him in there as commissioner. He made various controversial comments. you know he said that he did respect certain human rights, like, for example, property rights. he he opposed anything that would stop farmers cutting down trees on their land, you know things like that. He wanted the uh, racial discrimination act wound back so that people could say more offensive things about on the subject of race. He was definitely a retrograde step. Anyway, he lasted there for two years and then, Bingo, straight into federal parliament for the Liberal Party.
0: And there's been a few instances like that over the years, I understand. There,
1: there, there have been several that have caught the eye of an international body associated with the United Nations that accredits national human rights organisations. And the big thing that happened a couple of weeks ago was this body, well, Australia had an A status with it. They've put that A status on hold and they've warned us that unless we stop these- um,
0: Jobs for mates. Jobs for mates,
1: <laughs> unless we have a proper- Merit-based selection process. We will be dumped to B status. Now, B status puts us in the company of, of, you know, Myanmar and Venezuela and countries like that.
0: Which means that we don't have a say on things. Exactly.
1: Exactly. We get observer status at at the human rights discussions, which is is a terrible thing for Australia. I mean, it's It's embarrassing. Well, it's terribly embarrassing, and that was always a large part of our soft power. You know were believed and we had credibility when we stood up and said, you know, criticised other people's human rights abuses. China and the Uyghurs, you know, things like that. We've just shot ourselves in the foot there. We've lost a tremendous amount of of clout and soft power. So that's the kind of consequence of the meddling that this government has consistently been about, not only with the Human Rights Commission, but with all sorts of bodies that may be critical in some way. They've they've sought to stack them.
0: Yeah, the stacking of the boards with people from in particular right-wing think tanks and you know these captain picks, but also from fossil fuel industries, it's become a thing, right, like yeah. over the last couple of years. I've noticed it across the board with this government where they just think they can do this. Can you give another couple of examples?
1: Well, well, yes, I can. I, I wrote a story a little while back about carbon credit units, which are these things that are generated by the government, and the idea is if you can save a tonne of carbon, they will give you one carbon credit unit, okay? And these things are actually worth money.
0: The entire kind of net zero by 2050 concept is yeah. weighted on this. It's heavily dependent <laughs> on
1: that, right? So so the idea is if you're a fossil fuel company that's producing a tremendous amount of CO2, you can offset it by buying carbon credits from someone who's planting trees or sequestering it underground or what have you. Anyway, the former head of the body that that does this has left his job and has now said that essentially a billion dollars worth of these things are basically fraudulent.
0: This this is Andrew McIntosh? Andrew
1: McIntosh, that's right.
0: Very senior operator in this space, exceedingly experienced and well-respected. Very
1: well-respected. And he said that this is dodgy. So anyway, if you have a look at the body that verifies that these things are kosher, it's been heavily stacked with people with fossil fuel credentials. That's another example. And in this case, it's led to the entire currency of, of fossil fuel trading being debased. You know, McIntosh says a billion dollars worth of these credits are dodgy.
0: I think he said that eighty percent of these credits, seventy to eighty percent, seventy to eighty
1: percent, yeah, of these credits. Essentially, um, uh, one of the major measures is for planting trees on formerly cleared land. Well, in that case, clever operators have. Gone to land that was never really cleared.
0: Is it? Here's some trees. So yeah.
1: yeah, so they're 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 getting getting credits for trees that were already there. In other cases, farmers are getting credits for not cutting down trees that they weren't going to cut down anyway. And in a third example, landfills around Australia, a, a lot of them generate gas methane that mm. comes out of the rotting garbage, and a lot of them are getting enormous numbers of credits too.
0: Hang on, how's a garbage site getting credits? What are they doing to actually? Oh,
1: what they do is. They bury the garbage. Yeah. The garbage rots. As it rots, it produces methane, which is essentially natural gas. And then they harvest that off the top of the tip and they burn it for power. It actually works because methane, if it just leaked into the atmosphere, is actually a far more potent greenhouse gas than, off burning it. Than, than carbon dioxide. So you're better off burning it than just having it leak. So it, it is an actual good thing to do. The thing is, those operations are perfectly financially viable without carbon credits so they're being paid for doing something they would do anyway yeah so so that's macintosh's argument there money is being wasted on paying people for what's otherwise a perfectly profitable venture anyway so these yeah.
0: stacked boards with fossil fuel orientated people means that they've just got no interest in encouraging further renewable energy investment and proper carbon abatement right at a time when this is what we really need to be doing.
1: This government, uh, I mean, climate is the, the issue on which I'm most critical of them because, you know, obviously I think it's the biggest issue facing humanity. They're quite clearly dragging their feet at every opportunity that they can. They're doing the bare minimum that they think they can get away with in terms of public opinion. Putting enormous subsidies, for example, into bogus things like carbon capture and storage, which has never been shown to work commercially anywhere in the world, but we keep throwing money at it because A, it gives the impression that we're doing something positive and B, it is you know, more money going basically to the fossil fuel industry, right? So um, yes, I, I'm, I'm tremendously critical of them yes. on that front.
0: The other really glaring example, which, and of course, there's so many, we forget about it, right? And then what we have in front of us is the COVID Recovery Commission that was set up to get us out of the COVID recession that yep. we... Almost had. And of course, who had it up? But Nev Power, Mr. Fossil Fuel. Mr. Fossil
1: Fuel gas guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And
0: so what outcome did we get left with after all their scurrying around and paper shifting? I guess led recovery. I mean, that would be another example. But he wasn't alone, was he? I mean, there was a bunch of them. on. No, on- no,
1: there, there, there was a bunch of them. I, I can't remember the full makeup. I knew it at one stage. But yes, it was very heavily stacked with people who, who believed that the way to Generate an economic recovery was by more extraction of fossil fuels, basically, and I think the realisation had kind of dawned that maybe coal was on the way out, so we shifted to the next fossil fuel <laughs> down the line, which is gas. And now the government is giving enormous amounts of funding for things like you know the the Beetaloo gas basin in the Northern Territory. Well, there's huge amounts of government money going in there to support further drilling of of gas there. Gas, as we now know slightly cleaner than coal. I mean, when burnt, it's about 50% cleaner. But the thing is when unburnt, you know, when it leaks through reticulation or whatever, it's a much more potent greenhouse gas.
0: And especially because we really need to focus on the short term, it's particularly pertinent that we focus on gas and not having gas out there.
1: Precisely. And, you know, if if the government wanted to be serious about this, instead of funding fossil fuel companies to give us more gas, they would be better off having initiatives that, that you know, subsidised electric cars, or heat pumps instead of gas heating in houses, or induction cooktops instead of gas ranges in houses. Which which is happening? I mean, the ACT is doing this.
0: It's happening, but in spite of the federal government's efforts.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, that's the other thing that annoys me is that when we go to international forums, the federal government says, "Look, we have made reductions." But when you look at those reductions, they've all been made by state and territory governments or by individual citizens. Putting solar panels on the roofs of their houses. The federal government has done effectively bagger all, but they take the credit.
0: That's right. I mean, it's a minefield. Look, we've got a listener question that speaks to all of this. Hi, I'm Diana from Bondi. Um, I hear so many stories about the government doing stuff
1: plushcare.com slash weight loss.
0: To avoid climate responsibilities like taking away money from groups. So how do we know whether to believe this? So Mike, defunding of big green renewable energy type infrastructures or bodies here in Australia Mm -hmm. has been another thing, right?
1: It has. When the this government came to power under Tony Abbott. They wanted to defund a whole lot of things. You know, They wanted to defund the Climate Commission, the Australian Renewable Energy Agency, the Clean Energy Finance uh, Corporation. They didn't manage to defund all of them, but there were some cuts to funding, particularly for ARENA. And once again, they've they've put their people to some extent on the boards. The more interesting thing is they've tried to expand the remit of these things. So the Renewable Energy Agency, just to take a recent example, was supposed to foster the development of renewables. In the most recent parliament, just finished, obviously, so we can have the election. The energy minister, Angus Taylor, tried not once but twice to change the regulations that apply to ARENA such that it would be able to fund carbon capture and storage and other things that were not strictly renewable projects. Twice he tried and twice it got knocked off on the basis that it wasn't lawful to do that because the ARENA Act said that it had to specifically fund renewables. And because when Labor and Greens were in office and setting this up, they were clever enough to specifically put in itemized things that it could not fund. And carbon capture and storage was one of them. Had it not been knocked off in the parliament, there's a very good chance that it would have been knocked off in the courts because what he was trying to do was against the law. There are numerous examples of this. They're trying to do a similar thing with the uh, Clean Energy Finance Corporation. So, yes, a lot of very dodgy stuff goes on.
0: And it's also complex, isn't it? And it's kind of dull. It's yes. all sort of agency to and froing. It's really hard to follow. And I almost feel that this government has weaponized that.
1: Oh, it, it has. It has. Um, you know, these, these are often very arcane things. I mean, the particular body that knocked off Angus Taylor's attempt to, to subvert the purpose of ARENA was knocked off by an obscure but very important committee, which deals in so-called delegated legislation, which is, you know, not actual, legis- yeah, not <laughs> actual legislation, but, <laughs> but the regulations that apply below the legislation mm. and how those things interact. I mean, this is incredibly complicated stuff. I can understand why, you know, people like your listener get confused because frankly, unless you're really down in the weeds, it's very hard to pick up all the various ways in which they're attempting to subvert the purpose of these agencies.
0: Just while we're on that idea, I think it was Angus Taylor came out and pulled out this figure that Australians will be $500 a year worse off due to increased electricity prices under Labor's Plan And it went everywhere, right? All over the Murdoch press. I would
1: stress that it was one particular media organisation, which happens to be the dominant one. The
0: tabloids and the Australian ran with it. It was
1: was the Murdoch media, which is, uh, I mean, I think you can say in the election context, they're essentially a propaganda arm of the government.
0: It's certainly seeming that way at the moment. They came out with this claim, and of course it's a great headline, but of course when he was drilled on, well, where did that figure come from, it came out of the ether.
1: Well well worse. Yeah you you're quite right. The News Corp papers said this was quote modelling, you know, which which indicates that there's been some academic rigor and they've they've crunched the numbers in a serious way. And the government refused to release any modelling. It turns out there wasn't any modeling. I myself, as recently as yesterday, got under Taylor's office to say, where is the modeling that supports this? And oddly enough, they didn't get back to me. So what we have here is a, a media release that makes these claims. They're actually claims that are drawn from a mischaracterization of Labor's own modeling. And then they put out there in a press release and they have misrepresented quotes taken from various respected climate analysts indicating that they agree with the government. When you go back to those analysts, as I did, they don't. You go through what Tony Wood actually says. He says that it's a mess right now. It's a mess under the current government. That's what he meant to say. His words were misinterpreted. He prefers to suggest that maybe the Prime Minister was confused. A lot of other people would say the Prime Minister was lying electricity transmission in, in this country is kind of the big missing piece in, in our climate shift. You know, we have lots of people putting in solar farms, wind farms, et cetera. The missing bit is the wires to get it from point A to point Which B. Which is what
0: we're all talking about. Oh, Every oh. cognizant Australian is aware that, oh, okay, well, we've got all this wind and we've got all this sun, but we need something to connect it all. We need sort of batteries and infrastructure and poles and wires. This is what from what i gather the labor party is committing to bringing forward investment well, in that
1: well yeah labor labor is suggesting they would set up a loan a, a financing fund with 20 billion dollars in it that would in turn they think leverage another 58 billion dollars worth of investment whether all that investments in poles and wires per se or whether that's in in generating capacity is is not entirely clear nonetheless it's an attempt to speed things up all the experts in this country essentially say nothing has happened in the federal space on this, I mean, some of the states are very good, I might add. If you look at South Australia, you know, it's now yep. 66% renewables all the time. It's going going to 100%. Matt Keane, a Liberal in New South Wales, has got big plans.
0: But we need a federal infrastructure. I mean, that's the big, well, the big Ma- issue, and this is what Labor's trying to do.
1: Maybe we do need a federal infrastructure. I don't know. Some of the people I talk to say, possibly we don't, that maybe things have moved on a bit. With the rise of storage... Um, perhaps you actually don't need as big a transmission grid as you would otherwise, because you can actually store power close to where it's generated. So you know I'm just saying that, yes, we do need transmission infrastructure built, but also things are moving very fast. so i'm I'm not in any way making excuses for Angus Taylor because mm. he's he's inert on this. But nonetheless, it's a tremendously complicated problem to solve, and that's the point that that Tony Wood and others make, as Wood says whoever is the next minister is going to have to deal with an enormous mess. And that was what he was saying, and that was what Scott Morrison misinterpreted deliberately.
0: That's right. Would you go as far as calling this corruption?
1: It's certainly corruption of process in many cases, I think. They've very definitely subverted what you would consider proper decision-making process. Whether you would consider that per se corruption, I don't know.
0: To say we have had a corrupt government at a level that you and I have not seen before, it's really hard to fathom. Well, it,
1: it is, it is, and it's kind of hard to draw the line between corruption and simple incompetence, you know. I mean, theres it's a tremendously incompetent government as well as being a corrupt government, and I think certain of its actions, you know, some of its grant funding processes are arguably corrupt, I think. They would argue that, that no, they're not, that there is a discretion for ministers to do things. Oh, yes, yes. And yes, they're exercising... Yes. Oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not endorsing it. I'm just saying this, this is the kind of yeah. thing they come out with. You know, that is persuasive to some people. I personally think in the case of a lot of these, these grants, we should have arm link, arm's length bodies making the decisions.
0: You're talking about all the sports grants, parks. I'm the car talking about parks, the sports grants, car parks. We can roll them all off, yep. yeah.
1: Yeah, all, all of those things. We, we Quite apart from whether it's corrupt or not, what it's doing is, is wasting a lot of public money in areas where it doesn't need to be spent.
0: That's very, uh, that's, that's, that's tame language there. I, I,
1: I'm um, being as moderate as <laughs> I can. I know, I know. <laughs>
0: You're behaving yourself.
1: Get it? me in the pub with a couple of beers, I'd probably be a, a lot tougher. Or
0: as we'll pop across the road, we might head there afterwards. Um, another listener question, and I think it's a really great segue.
1: Hi, I'm Adam from Manley. How do the government get away with the corruption? And my other question is, is democracy eroding? Yes. The way they get away with this, and this goes back to what I was saying about the Human Rights Commission, they... Do not like any form of accountability. The Human Rights Commission was one example that I that I cited. Um, in the case of sports rorts, which you we were just mentioning, the National Audit Office um, blew the whistle on that one. Well, what's happened to the audit office? It's had its funding cut, right? And this happens with a lot of, of accountability agencies. If they can't be stacked or if they can't be abolished, they get funding cuts. So
0: I mean that's what we hear about, you know, happening in Russia. Putin doesn't like an agency because it, you know, calls him out and something. Oh, eradicate them. I don't oh. think any
1: member of any agency in Australia has actually been poisoned by the Prime Minister <laughs> at this stage, but, right. but y- y- your point is, is broadly correct. That
0: result's the same. The,
1: no, you're quite correct. The, this government hates scrutiny of what it does because what it does is dodgy.
0: Which yeah. just reinforces their dodginess. Yeah,
1: that's right. Exactly, exactly. It's, it's, a, it's a downward spiral. The clearest example of this is the, the idea of some kind of national integrity body or national corruption committee. All the states have them in various models and the federal government just will not have a bar of it. You know, Scott Morrison keeps saying, you know, we have several hundred pages of legislation for a federal body ready to go. It's Labor's fault because they won't agree to it. Well, this is just not true.
0: Are Australians buying that? Because that's a very convenient argument. The point is they're meant to put that up as a bill and then it's meant to be debated and then you make a few compromises and that's how laws get passed. That's how laws
1: get passed, exactly. I think most
0: Australians know that. It was an election promise and then for three years he's kicked the can down the road and said, well, I've just put together something here, you know, here's a document um, and it's that my way or the highway and so then he says, well, it's Labor's fault for not having a federal ICAC.
1: Yeah, it's his fault for putting up uh, an absolutely weak as water model. It hasn't even entered the parliament. So, you know, without going through all the the, the manifest weaknesses of the bill that the, the government has proposed, you know, we've had all sorts of retired judges and former counsel assisting ICAC, all sorts of legal experts just coming out saying this bill would actually be worse than nothing because it not only wouldn't get to the, the heart of corruption at a federal level, it would provide cover for it.
0: Is Labor's suggestion are either of them um, workable models? Which one should we be looking out for this election? Because I think integrity is a really big issue for Australians. It's popping up in the leaders' debates. It's popping up in Vox Pops and Vote Compass. Is the Labor one or the or the Independence one? The Helen Haynes one? Are they good? Look, Will I, they do the job.
1: I, I, I don't claim the expertise to have have gone through them in depth. What I can tell you is that the the experts out there say that they're both much better models. I actually do believe that Labor is reasonably committed on this subject it wasn't for a long time but i think it's come round i think the greens have always been very strong on this and obviously the the Independents, of whom quite possibly will we will have a significantly larger number after the election if you have a look at the key planks they're running on the idea of some kind of corruption body is one of the top three you know the top three are climate corruption and the you know treatment and status of women basically so i, I think you're absolutely right i think this has big traction with the public and I just don't think thoughtful electors are buying what Scott Morrison says at all. You know, The fact is, it's not Labor's fault because, as you say, it's never been put up for debate. There has never been the, the scope for compromise. You know, Morrison's attitude is, well, here it is. Like it or lump it, boom, that's what you get. That's not the way you do it.
0: Would a federal ICAC fix many of the issues that we have discussed over the last 25 minutes? <laughs> would, it, would it prevent these things and hold a, a government in the future to account?
1: I think it would stop some of it. I mean, you know, when we go back to the dodgy appointments, for example, governments still do that even when they have anti-corruption bodies. You know, so that that can still be done. Ultimately, what stops it is scrutiny of all kinds, right? What you need is media that holds government to account. You need various accountability bodies. You need processes set up so that appointments are actually made on the basis of merit. And you know, appointing someone on the basis of merit doesn't necessarily mean they can't have political connections. If I go back to the Human Rights Commission, the current disability commissioner has some Liberal Party connections, but he's also an eminent barrister. He's also disabled himself. He's been active for a long time in the sphere. He would probably have been selected on merit, but because the system doesn't exist to select him or, or wasn't used to select him on merit, he's tainted you know, he's clearly a good appointment, but he is tainted because the government... And
0: that's what that international body has an issue with, Yes. Yeah, is the yeah, captain's that, That's
1: right. So I, I know I've strayed a little bit off the topic. But, but my point here is that if you have proper processes set in place, not just an ICAC, but more broadly, that will do a lot of it.
0: I think that a corruption body would probably create an atmosphere where that kind of behavior at least gets discussed.
1: I think you're right and you know that's clearly one of the big flaws with what Morrison's putting up is that he wouldn't allow them to discuss any of this in public, you know, it would all be hidden behind closed doors. I actually think one of the most powerful tools that that these corruption bodies have, these anti-corruption bodies have, is the public hearing where it can all be aired, where the public and the media can see it. Morrison's complaint is that it's a kangaroo court and people get dragged there inappropriately. Well, they don't. You know, if you have a look at ICAC, there's a tremendous amount of private work that is done. If they deem that there is a sufficient body of evidence, then they hold a public hearing. That's the way it should be done. And then the media should be able to report on it and the public should be able to make their judgment.
0: Well, listen, Mike, that's been absolutely awesome. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Oh, my pleasure. It was fun.
0: There's that old saying, how do you know if a politician is lying? You know, they open their mouth. I've always resisted this kind of cynical approach to politics. I've met many politicians who legitimately care, who legitimately want to sleep straight at night, and I don't ever accept the status quo if it's below par. I think we can and should fight for way better. We have a responsibility to do this. We have a responsibility to future generations and to democracy, the very idea of it. The big part of the issue is that politics over recent years has been dominated by career politicians who come up through the ranks and who almost grow up in the parliamentary circle in Canberra with unaccounted for behavior, the norm. But this election, we are seeing candidates who come from various realms of business, doctors, entrepreneurs, and also a lot of women. I keep encouraging everyone here to check out your candidates in your electorate. Go to their community meetings. Many are doing politics in the pub. And if you don't know who your candidates are and you want to check them out, go to Vote Compass. You can go online, put in your postcode, and it will show you all of the candidates from the various parties, the independents and so on, who are running your electorate. We don't have to put up with this if it's not what we want, if it's not what we want for our Australia. So tell your friends and pass this episode around and not pull me up, ask me questions, continue to call me out on all of this stuff because we've all got to be held accountable. Anyway, as always, until next time, please stay engaged and just a little bit wild. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods